This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Queen of Light by Lindsay Hall, and Nick read The Haunted Vagina by Carlton Mellick III. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here to bring you the worst books a reader could recommend to us. Yes, we have a reader recommendation from our listener, Laura, from Germany. Or Austria. Or Austria. Laura, let us know what country you're actually (laughs) from. Uh, She speaks German. She recommended a book that I, as soon as I saw her tweet, promptly bought for Mick on Amazon called The Haunted Vagina by Carlton Mellick III. Guess what it's about? A haunted vagina. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, you can't complain too much, though, because part of the reason I picked this book for you is that it is quite short. It had something like 65 pages. exactly how many pages it had. And I feel like I have gotten you inadvertently some very long books lately so i owed you a short one but if i was gonna get a short one i wanted it to be extra bad so the haunted vagina it is yes and i i will talk about the haunted vagina when we get around to it but susan please tell me about the amazon uh kindle exclusive queen of light mick you got me the third book in a trilogy classic of classic Uh, this, this is classic bibliovile. This book is classic bibliovile in a lot of ways. It is urban fantasy. Um, the main characters own a bar. The love interest is explained in very generic terms that don't actually describe him at all. Very nice. Um. Chiseled jaw. And people wear really unrealistic things in combat scenes. And never t- put their hair up Listen, in a hair tie. I feel like you are attacking Otherworld something fierce right now, and I will not have it. Okay, no, I'm not attacking it. I'm just saying it's classic bibliovile in that particular way. So the main characters own a bar. Their bar is called Potions and Pastels. It is, is often it, referred to as the P&P. Is it one of those ones where you drink wine and paint like a bowl of fruit with your... <laughs> You know, bachelorette party before you go to the Chippendales? No, it's While supposed to be just like with the bachelorette party. your friendly neighborhood bar, um, but it's run by Faye, uh, Fire Faye to be exact. Oh. Siblings. Everything changed when the Fire Faye attacked. <laughs> uh, Fire Faye siblings named Connor and Claire, but also Kara. So her friends and her brother call her Claire. But her soulmate and her Bone some partner. other people and some other people who I'll tell you more about in a minute call her Kara C A E R A. So I don't know. I don't know what her name actually is. Uh, you asked if the love interest was described as having a chiseled jaw. No, but close. He does have sharp cheekbones, dark hair, blue eyes, and is impossibly perfect. Ah. He glows with an aura of power. Impossibly perfect is the best kind of perfect Mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, because, you know, perfect is typically possible. So that's why it's important to clarify that he is impossibly perfect. Uh, Just so our listeners know, 
Mick is currently holding our almost <laughs> 70 pound pit bull like a baby and just reclining in the office chair. And Finn seems he to be loving it. it. <laughs> Folks. So you're going to hear some dog kiss sounds, I think, sometimes. But he seems very happy. And this is a way for him to be slightly less annoying the while we record. on fetching ball. That's dog kiss. <laughs> um, one thing that I feel like happens a lot in these urban fantasy kinds of books is that the magic is not really described. Otherworld did a really good job of that because the the kind of creature that they were gave you an indication of where their magic came from. Camille was very based on spells. Um, Delilah weirdly came from the Autumn Lord. Like, like it made more sense in Otherworld. And the Autumn Lord came into Delilah. Exactly. Um, in this book, their magic comes from potions and potion bombs. Potion cellar. Which... I'm glad they explained it, but this seems very clunky in in like inefficient in combat that they have to like share potions with each other and like get the potion bomb out of their pocket and throw it at their enemy. It just does not seem like a particularly efficient way to do magic. So when they're going into battle, they ask for their strongest potions? Potion seller, I tell you I'm going into battle and I want only your strongest potions. You can't handle my potions. They're too strong for you. (laughs) Um, Quick summary of the plot. Apparently in book two, Claire slash Kara defeats the darkness at the Tour of the Ancients. I believe in a thing called love. But it is only a temporary defeat because the darkness actually like goes out of the world, but then goes into her. So she says, I can feel it even now. The dark mist twisting around my insides, seeping into my soul. But the darkness being inside her has also given her this like weird new light power, which she describes as... It's like a supernova or something. Just this overwhelming power that explodes out of me when I need it. Um, Whenever the plot determines that I have magic, the darkness has it. And I will get to that. Uh, The darkness is trying to steal all the magic from the earth, and it is using Claire slash Kara to destroy everything. It's trying to get her to light everything on fire, and as she says, burn it all. Um, Burn it. They, That's what the leprechaun tells me to do. She and her mate, Yane, and her um and her brother and her friends uh go to the king and the queen of the Fire Fae, who tell them to go to a specific tower. So they go to the tower and they steal a brooch and a crown. And she puts the crown on and has like, I don't know if she's having a vision or if she goes back in time, but she learns that she is a reincarnate. Ah. And the first time she was alive... Her name was Kara. She sac- I, Yes, I think so. She sacrificed herself to keep the darkness at bay, and now she's supposed to do it again. And also, she's a goddess. She's the goddess of light. Mm. There are other elemental gods that no one knows about, uh, except for now her, including the gods of air, water, earth, light, energy, and time. Any any, uh, help on what the difference between light and energy is? Nope. Uh, Other than she's the goddess of light and not the goddess of energy. Sounds good. 
So she was created by these other gods so that she could die to keep the darkness at bay. Like, that's her whole purpose is, like, what kind she of- fights the darkness, defeats it temporarily for, like, th- a couple thousand years or whatever. <laughs> then the darkness comes back. She gets reborn so that she can fight it and defeat it again. But she'll die in the process. And it'll be kept at bay for another couple thousand years. Classic. Classic. Real fifth element. Here. There is one thing that I uh, laughed at a little bit. She, she actually says to one of the characters as she's like learning about herself and learning about her new identity or whatever. And she goes, this is a quest, right? A quest to gain more magic and strength so that I can be victorious and live happily ever after. And I wanted to be like, yes, thank you for summing up the book. I thought I thought I was going to go the exact... That was like a real uh, taking itself seriously moment. I thought it was going to be one of those bad uh, sort of taking the piss out of itself. Where it was oh, like, this all sounds wall. like a real bad supernatural movie, you know? Yeah. No, like, this is a quest. Um, But here's the thing that really drove me crazy about this book. And I feel like this is quite common in other or in bibliophile books and that's it there's no stakes to anything like every problem that comes up is immediately solved with no stress and no consequences and so like they fight their magic relies on these potions but the potions are super easy to make they can make them on the spot they never seem to run out of them the potions can heal their wounds instantly So, like, in one of the, like, mini battles at the beginning, one of their friends is hurt really badly, but it doesn't matter because they can heal it instantly, right away. Well, you gotta get the potions. When they're, like, on their quest to find these magic objects, she, there are, like, protective charms and enemies and things that are supposed to be preventing them from doing it. But she can just sense magic, and so they're never surprised by anything. Her light magic, you made the joke about, like, her magic happens whenever the plot needs it. And that's exactly how it works. Like, they never explain what her light magic is. She doesn't know how to use it. It just happens to save the day every time. Like Lu- magic. Lumos ex machina. <laughs> um, even, so this was the really annoying part of this. Like, even the actual battle, like, the whole thing is that Her whole purpose is to sacrifice herself to save the world from the darkness, but she just uses her magic and all of a sudden the darkness is gone. And so the god of time tells her, you found a way around your fate, something that we did not know was possible. By embracing the darkness, you neutralized it. There's no light without dark and you had so much brightness inside Uh, of you. uh, There is quite a bit of light without darkness. Yeah. By joining the darkness with your light, you have nullified it. Now you don't need to die. You've changed your fate and saved your people and yourself. But how? Like, we don't know how. We don't know how this works. We don't know why this worked. Someone... And neither do the gods. Like, it it just, there was just no stakes to it. Like, we just had, I get, like, of course we had a magic solution. It's a book about magic. But, like, they just, there's no stakes. So they must have read the MLK and like, hate cannot drive out hate. Only yeah, love can. Only so love can. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light only can. Only light can. By bringing the light into itself, he continued to say, becoming the darkness for another thousand years. It was one of his weirder speeches. Yeah, definitely. But it was the 60s, so people little, just sort of rolled, rolled with it. A little offbeat, but it was fine. 
Uh, the final thing, and I think the most infuriating and the, the most egregious Philbin example of, like, having no stakes is in this big battle scene, hundreds of people die. Like, all of these fae, who are, like, her people, come and help her in the battle, and a lot of people die, including her brother and her mate, Ian, um, and some of her really close friends, and it's... And Fred Weasley. Yeah, and Fred Weasley and Hedwig. Um, <laughs> and it's supposed to be this, like, big emotional thing, like in the bat... Like, like in Harry Potter, when all of your favorite characters die or whatever, like... I like George It's Potter. supposed to be this big, like, terrible thing. They, like, made these sacrifices to keep everybody safe and to fight the darkness. But then she just resurrects them all. Immediately after the battle. <laughs> With powers she didn't know she had that weren't explained, she she says, had a potion. I flew from body to body, returning the life forces that had been taken. Like, that's it. It doesn't explain, like, how wow. she did that or why that works. It's just like, all these people died and I'm going to be sad for half a page and then I'm just going to fly around and give them their life force back. That would and be, now um... they're coming back and now everyone is alive. That would be abrupt and cheating, even in a DC Comics series. Yeah. To bring people back to life. Yeah. It's, Superman can't come back to life that easily. Yeah. He at and least it, he stayed dead. It just, like, I, I can imagine, too, that if you had read the whole trilogy and you had gotten to know these characters, and, like, in, in books that I have really liked, I get sad when characters die. Like, there's a character in the Gunslinger series that I, like, still remember years after reading it. Like, I cried. Oi. Yes. You're not joking? It was the pet? It was the pet. I'm not joking. It was the pet. Well, of course I, I cried. I cried a lot when I, the pet died. Of course. But you, even, I like, only cry when pet die, Or I cry when only pets die. The first time I read the fifth Harry Potter book, I cried when Sirius died. Like, you, you eh. have feelings about characters that you like in books that you like. And so I imagine that if you were a fan of this trilogy and you were invested in these characters and they die you're gonna like have some feelings about that and then oh just turn the page don't worry everyone comes back and lives happily ever after and it's just like it just felt like a cop-out it's almost as if real books and stories require some sort of sacrifice and growth in order to make them feel grounded and, yeah. and achievable or like they've achieved anything and so that's why a death is often the way to show that sacrifice and yeah. to remove it, it from being is... It's also, like, I, I feel like a story needs to have some type of conflict, but it doesn't really count as conflict if you immediately take away all of the consequences of that conflict. Yeah. So it's just lame. Uh, but I do want to read to you the last, the last sentence of this book. Oh, good. It's great. So she's talking... She's in the bar that she owns with her brother, Connor. I caught sight of Connor. Today, his band t-shirt was for Imagine Dragons, and I grinned at the irony. We didn't need to imagine dragons at P&P. We had dragons. And the best part is that there's no dragons in the book. <laughs> I feel bad that this is an audio medium because the sheer look of nothing that crossed my face. There's no dragons. Maybe there's dragons in the other books, but in, like, in this book, there were no dragons. And wow. also, imagine dragons is the band. Like, don't mention bands in So this your... took place on Earth. 
that thousands of people died Apparently, in the battle. Yeah. For a couple seconds. For a couple seconds, Ugh. and then they were all resuscitated by the Queen of Light. Everything from from start to finish just sounds radioactive. <laughs> Did you know that I think, I don't know if this is true. This can't possibly be true. But have you heard the urban legend that Imagine Dragons got their start as the band for the Spider-Man musical, Turn Off the Dark? Oh, no. And that's why it's Radioactive was their big first hit. Oh, no. There was going to be a Spider-Man yeah. musical? Yeah. Turn Off the Dark. Hey, hey, Spider-Man. Turn Off the Dark. Oh, no. Yeah. And then it had to get canceled because uh, all the stunt performers kept getting hurt. Oh, no. Yeah. So they they kept the dark on, unfortunately. They did. Well, maybe this is the book series because it's all about ending the dark, turning off the dark. I bet you're right. I bet this was... Hey, Susan, when you think about it? When you think about it, this is actually Spider-Man the musical. Turn off the dark. (laughs) What a stupid fucking name for a musical. What a stupid fucking book. Yeah, it was really bad. How long was it? It was quite short. It was, well, not as short as yours. It was like 220 some pages. My favorite. So, yeah. Nice. It was was pretty, pretty quick, pretty to the point, um, which is good because nothing happened and there were no consequences for anything. Hey, politics in 2020, am I right? (laughs) Oh, no. So anyway, tell me more about the haunted vagina. Is it haunted? I'm calling my cousin. I... I just want to read to you before I hop into it. This, oh, this good. was better to hear at the end, but I would forget to say it if it was at the end. Okay. Uh, this is the about the author uh, for The Haunted Vagina. Carlton Mellick III is one of the leading authors in the new bizarro genre uprising. Hey, folks, you don't name your own fucking genre. No. You have to, like, wait for someone else to do yeah. that. Monet wasn't slapping his corneal, you know, whatever. What's it called when you can't see because your eyes are all milky? Uh, cataracts? He wasn't slapping his cataract paintings up and being like, wow, I sure am an impressionist. <laughs> yeah, other people have to give you your nickname. Since 2001, his surreal surreal counterculture novels have drawn an international cult following despite the fact that they've been shunned by most libraries and corporate bookstores. He lives in... Any guesses as to the weird city that he lives in? Seattle. Close. Portland. Portland, Oregon. Yep. The bizarro fiction mecca. If you had to guess what this man looks like, it looks like he would wear a fedora, of course. And then underneath that fedora, care to describe what you would find? Oh, no. Um. Well, he's making a, he's making a quirky face because he's quirky he's making a bizarro face he's making the i'm very smart look, look at me thinking face yeah he's with got his hand under his chin and looking up to the right yeah. corner it looks like a mostly shaved head some kind of squarish dark glasses the face is that a beard or nope. is that just a weird trick of the light no that is mutton chops baby Oh, no. Right underneath where the the supports for the eyeglasses, mutton chops begin and do not meet in the middle of his face. Oh, no. So that when he is wearing his fedora or his trilby or what have you, all you can see is mutton chops underneath it. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, well, welcome to uh, how I felt about this book as well. It was only 65 pages long. Only 65 pages long, which is very, very good. I have, I'm only going to read you one quote because I think I would puke if I had to uh, <laughs> read this quote again. And it is going to be the first sentence. Oh, good. I love it when we start off with a bang. Fucking, uh, so the first sentence of The Haunted Vagina, chapter one. <clears throat> 
I've been scared to have sex with Stacy ever since I discovered her vagina was haunted. <laughs> okay. I gotta say, we're as far just as opening starting up, the book off by telling you what's what. As far as page one, sentence one goes, it is way better than it was a dark and stormy night, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, I just want to remind you that I paid $5 of our hard-earned <laughs> money for this. Uh, so we have two characters, a man whose name I forgot and a woman whose name is Stacy only because I just read it. Uh, I would have forgotten since then. Uh, this is very clearly either this guy's fetish or written for somebody else's fetish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you do you, I guess, uh, but why are you making me read 65 pages of it? it yeah. I think what this b- b- mutton chopped man uh, wants it to be is the novel version of performance art where like he's drawing vaginas on his chest and being like get it and then we have to stand there in the gallagher blue dorn and be like uh or cameric what was the music building that that performance art was always in camera yeah. camera and so we had to stand there and watch the guy draw vaginas on his chest and then you know get his balls out and be like mm, yes and then drink some terrible wine uh, except in, instead of doing that and then leaving, fe- feeling like you're smart, but not actually being any smarter, I have to read this book for an entire afternoon. <laughs> Susan, you've asked several times to have a book that uh, is a rom-com that has no dumb second act conflict yeah. that's stupid and bad. Yeah. this is. I wrote one. I know. I'm very excited. I didn't want to tell your story about it, but... Uh, this is the fetish equivalent of that, where it's like, hey, there's just going to be a whole pile of fetishes, and we're not going to worry about any plot that's not part of that fetish. Oh, good. So this very short dude uh, has an extraordinarily tall Asian woman, uh, a yeah. foot taller than him, uh, girlfriend, who they meet on the bus by falling asleep on top of each other, and then they have a platonic sleeping scenario where she holds him like a teddy bear, and then slowly but surely, they fall kind of in love. Uh, I I am halfway down the page, and I've reached 14% after only about 15 minutes of reading. Uh, and we get a nice, good uh, summary of their brief anal sex experiences, um. where both of them wanted to give. And so uh, our main character describes getting pegged and how he doesn't like it. Uh, and so they don't do anal sex anymore. And similar to that oral sex, where they both love getting it, but neither of them like giving it okay and then our uh story takes off when they are 69ing good i felt like as the story was being told to me it's told in a very conversational present tense and i felt like i was back subbing sitting in the cafe like sitting in like the teacher break room at, at urbandale middle school and there was the weird sub that nobody else would talk to, but because we're both subs together, he, like, would talk. I, this is not based on any specific yeah, person. it's just the vibe. It's just the vibe where it's the weird sub, and he sits down in his, like, utilicilt or whatever, and is just telling me about hooking up with his gross girlfriend, and I have to sit there and eat my ham sandwich before I can go back <laughs> and take out the, my awkwardness on the kids. And it was... Oh... I bought it. I bought this book with my money. And so it's not the same because like, I didn't ask for that conversation to be had with me. But in this case, yeah. I did. You you invited this into your life by creating this podcast. Yeah. um, And listening to Germans. Uh, and 
it's bad. It's bad in a lot of unspecific ways. It's just gross. Mm -hmm. But none of it is, like, broken, if that makes sense. Yeah. Except that our Asian woman protagonist, who is ethnically Thai but was adopted by two black parents and raised in Seattle, learns Russian. And she's like she's like a Buster Bluth from Arrested Development, where she's in college for like a decade and just keeps taking different yeah. things. And so she knows Russian. And in a crisis, which I'll get to what the crisis is, she swears in Russian. And it's like, no one ever swears in their second language during no. a crisis. No, that's the joke. Is like, you pray... You swear and you, um, what's the third one? Count. Count. Yeah. I was going to say dirty talk. But. Probably that too. The, only, like only in your your first language. I'm going to make an exception. I think fuck is such a good swear word yeah. that I'm pretty sure it has caught on in multiple, yeah, that's multiple places. Because it just feels like a swear word. Like you don't even have to know what it means. You're just like, that person is swearing. But if you stub your toe really oh, yeah. badly. like Scheiße. Yeah, it's probably going to be in your language that you Could swear. Be, what's the span? Puta? Uh, maybe. See, I don't know because I never swore in Spanish. Oh, come on. Everyone uh, everyone learns the swear words, but in the moment you swear in the... I don't know what the like stub your toe swear word is. Uh, I think it's puta madre. Hmm. I should know. I was in Spain for a week. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, the reason she's swearing in Russian is because while they're 69ing and she is too tall for him. So while he is, and I'm sorry about this folks, but while he's sucking her clitoris like a glow worm. Oh, why? Ew. I, I, I finished reading this a oh. week ago, and that still stands out in my mind. That that's, that's the awful. While he's sucking her clitoris like a glow worm, and she's loving it and teething his wiener, it's like he specifically says, this does not feel very good. And she's beginning to climax, and he wants to get her there because he can hear noises coming from her uh, vagina. Uh, and then a skeletal hand reaches out of her vagina and grabs his face. Oh! And he pushes her off, and a, a skeleton pushes her its way out of her vagina, and then slowly, or very, very quickly, actually, he smashes its head with a lamp, and it... <laughs> so I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast is going to get this, but do you remember in... I think you should leave where Ebenezer Scrooge has a, a bony come out of the wall. Yeah. And when he smashes it, it, it molts into like this green goo. Yeah. And he says, I'll go ahead and eat that goop, Scrooge. It'll give you the bony sense of humor. <laughs> it reminded me of that because he smashes the head of the bony. Friggin' bony. And it melts into an orange goo and like stains the blank, stains the rug. Ew. And it's just like, they just leave it there and go somewhere else. And so then it's a story of... Does she know that her vagina is Yeah, she thinks it's quirky and fun, but she could never get laid in college except by weirdos. Why is it haunted? I don't... Well, here's the thing, is that later, uh, she's like, you have to go... She can, like, grab it and stretch it out like a snake mouth. Oh, like I an hate its jaw. that. And so he not only sticks a hand all the way up to the elbow into it, uh, in a 65-page book, we get around 10 pages of describing him claw- crawling up her vagina. Uh, he has to shave his head and oil himself down and like wriggle his way up there. And, uh, she can feel him getting smaller, like some sort of distillation. And, uh, uh, he can hear her like around him. Like he's in there, but he's, he feels the same size, but he's getting smaller. It's a whole thing. Uh, 
And then he's like, oh, I'm in her. And he gets a boner and he starts rubbing it on the inside of her while he's in there. And he keeps crawling and there's a light at the end of the tunnel and he pokes out and he's in some sort of, I don't know, miniature like Beetlejuice fucking world. And he falls down a cliff because the hole is a, it comes out like 10 feet high or like 30 feet high in a cliff and he falls down and then he's trapped for a while. But he manages to, he sees this weird little rubbery lady and then he manages to climb out and he crawls back through her vagina and is born into her jeans. So his like face is poking out of her vagina as she's driving and she has to pull over and he mentions the smell of her musk. Uh, in order to get him inside... This is very upsetting. In or Yeah, in order to get her inside of him, she uh, uh, he's, like, having second thoughts while he's, like, shoulders deep in her. Ugh. And so she stands up and jumps onto him like Mario jumps onto a glue oh God, ew! It doesn't say that, but that's very clear that that's what it is. Uh, it describes the second time he's crawling into her vagina, now decked out with a, an ankle bag full of exploration equipment and a cell phone and a radio and a gun. Because it's America, even the alt alt weekly performance artists have to carry a gun. Uh, he it describes him crawling through the her holding up her meat ceiling with his head. Oh. So that's where my notes end. And if you care to read the the rest of my notes, Nick has about half a page that just says in really big letters, "What the fuck." <laughs> Uh, the man goes exploring and finds the rubbery lady that he had, uh, seen before. And it was our, the vagina lady's, uh, imaginary friend when she was a kid. And she's like latex and naked, but without any like nipples or anything like that. She's got like weird rubbery horns on her head. And she's like, oh, you're here to play with me. And she's got like a weird squeaky voice. And he's like, lady, I'm not here to play with you. And then... She, like, uses a bunch of skeletons that are there to push him into a big mine shaft. And then she keeps him down there for several months. And he doesn't seem to starve to death. And then he slowly but surely is changing into the same rubbery lady as she was. And then at one point his skeleton jumps out of his back, leaving him wiggly and rubbery and, and latexy like she is. And they fall in love and have a bunch of sex. And then, like... Inside the vagina. Yeah, and then, like, he never makes it out for the rest of the, the book. Uh, and so then they have a bunch of sex together and it turns out that, uh, on the outside, the vagina lady was so bereft over him never coming back out that she went and had drunken sex at a bar. We find this out because a decade later she calls him on the radio or whatever. And, uh, 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 she gets pregnant off of this, this bar sex and the sky changes because now we're in the new baby's vagina. So this has been passed down from generation to generation, this haunted vagina. Every single time the woman has a daughter, she gets the haunted vagina world inside of her. And so our, uh, our protagonist so to speak is now trapped in her daughter's, uh, womb. Uh, but it's all fine since he looks like it's like described in wicked, why that much detail about like this rubbery lady is a, is a species or something that releases pheromones that changes her partner into whatever she is uh. and they keep his skeleton as a pet uh, and do a lot of squeaky rubbery sex that he's like, yeah, this is so weird. I could barely get it up. It was the best sex I ever had. That's like also one of the worst parts of the writing. It's like, you're describing as if he didn't like it. And, then yeah. he said it like, and so like, since they have no bones, it's like real flexible, like twisty sex. And so like, They'll make out while doing it doggy style because she can like twist yeah. around and it's just fucking weird, man. <laughs> this has all been very upsetting. And this is not doing 
the, this the is culture. a lot of terrible weirdness crammed into 65 pages. Oh, I apparently went to my next highlight and did not mean to. Uh, and while he's saying about uh, the voices coming out of her vagina, uh, listen, she said, pulling my head into her lap and pressing my ear against her vagina. This is page three. It was like listening. I'm going to wait till you finish drinking that water because the next thing I'm about to say. It was like listening to the ocean in a hairy flesh seashell. Ew! Oh my god, I hate that. That's the worst phrase. Ugh. So that was my afternoon. I spent a week and a half in quarantine between our two BiblioVal episodes. Thank you for being patient with Amali's Monsters episode. I hope it was okay. But uh, I spent a week and a half in quarantine by myself growing the world's worst mustache. And this was what I read when I got out. And it was more disturbing than anything I thought to myself while I was in that quarantine. Yuck. Yuckarooskies. Yuckarooskies indeed. Uh, There's a reason that nobody had heard of this book or wanted to read it before. And this is why. So if you're into vaginal vore, I guess, it's right up her alley. Oh, I hate that. That's another terrible phrase that I hate. And maybe it'll be up yours. And to to Laura, I love you. But up yours is exactly the way I feel about this right now. Laura, thank you for this suggestion. Because despite Uh, the fact that this book was absolutely horrifying to listen to, I'm very glad that Nick had to read it. God, what a great marriage you and I have, huh? Oh, I love it. Anyway. That's The Haunted Vagina. At least it only took me an afternoon to read. And then I cleansed the palate with All Quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> yeah. So. Very thematically similar. That's right. <laughs> it's all about life at any cost, you know? <laughs> oh, my god. Both German. Yeah, I suppose. Well, uh, no, actually, the book itself wasn't German, but the. The recommendation. The recommendation yeah. was, Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. I'm sorry it's kind of a short episode, but my book was only 65 pages and I barfed on every single one of them. <laughs> like I barfed onto the pages. It made reading the Kindle very hard. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dickima, and the show can be found at Bibliovile. I'm on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Uh, keep a lookout for more Molly's Monsters coming out. I'm editing them down a little bit shorter so that I can hopefully smush the episodes into listenable chunks instead of an entire series. Because quite frankly, I want to wrap it up with an actual ending. I I, do too. Anyway. Anyway, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe and good night, Laura. Auf Wiedersehen.